do you belong to God? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? In fact, more importantly, does he know you? Does he call you by name? Because if that's true, then you're one of God's people. And God said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, circle that word then, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. I think all of us would agree this morning that our land needs to be healed. That's another way of saying we need revival in our country. But revival must begin with God's people. It's, God doesn't expect unsaved people to live like Christians. But he does expect those of us that name the name of Christ to live like a child of the king. Amen? Amen. The good book says judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. And if there's a hope for America, it's because of God's people getting right with God. As much as I hate to see America go down the slopes and, and, and possibly totally be wiped out, I'm not a pessimist, but we're on that track. God doesn't need America. God's not going to go out of business just because America goes out of business. America needs God. And that's why it's imperative that we as God's people who know that get right with God. Because when the church gets right with God, then God can bless our land. We need to be healed. Our land needs to be healed. Our homes need to be healed. Our churches need to be healed. Our heart needs to be healed. And God has spelled out the formula, what it takes for God to revive us. Several decades ago, I I was having chest problems, pressure in my heart. I had tightness in my jaw. And it was what is perceived as symptoms for a heart attack. My dad was 38 years old when he had his first heart attack, his second at 49, and his fatal heart attack when he was 58. My mom died at 67 of a heart attack, her second heart attack, our family is riddled with heart problems. And so when I had those symptoms, I dreaded it. I was hoping that maybe it would skip a generation or at least skip over me and go to my sisters who deserve those kind of problems more than me. But as I was suffering those symptoms, I ignored them and, and tried to uh, feel good on my own. We had plans, and I didn't want to interrupt our plans. I knew if I went to the doctor what might take place, so I, I just followed our plans. We went to Honduras on a missions trip, and when we got down there, I, I was really struggling. And I remember one night praying, asking God, just please save me till I get back home. If I've got to die, let me die in America. I don't want to die in Honduras because I'd heard rumors that if you died in Honduras or in anywhere in Central America, they wouldn't let your body out of Central America. And I don't know why it was important, but I wanted to be buried back in America, not on a foreign soil. Well, God, let me live. And I got back to Chicagoland and started doing my normal routine, and I felt better. And so I didn't see a need to go to the doctor. And again, a few weeks later, I felt those, that chest pressure and the symptoms going down my arm and the uh, speeding up of my heart. And <clears throat> so I made an appointment to go see the doctor. It was the day before Thanksgiving. I went to the doctor and he examined me and all that. And he said, uh, I'd like to order an angiogram for you. And I said, well, <clears throat> why do we have to have an angiogram? He said, because uh, you, you, you may need, I said, heart surgery? Yes, that's a, I knew it. That's why I didn't want to come here. 
I just knew this is a business. You're just wanting to, you want me to pay for your new car. <laughs> and so I just went off a little bit. Of course, when you're not feeling well, you, you're not under as good a control as you normally are. And I was a little feisty with the man, especially for being a, a doctor, men that you would normally respect, and I do respect. And so <clears throat> I, I told him, I said, well, how about if I, um, uh, I'm going to go home and start exercising and, and change my diet. How does that sound? He said, Reverend, exercise is good for healthy people. But if I were you, I wouldn't pick up a jar of olives. He said, if you stress your heart too much, you'll drop over of a heart attack and be gone. I said, are you just trying to scare me? He said, no, I'm just telling you the facts. I said, well, tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I don't want to have an angiogram now. Can I wait till next week? He said, you can wait till next year for all I care. I'm just telling you, angiogram. And so... I said, Doc, I don't think I want that. He looked at me and he said, Reverend, why did you come see me? I said, because I don't feel good. And everyone in my family has heart attacks and dies young. He said, then why won't you do what I tell you to do? And you know, the same can be said so often of us as Christians. God says, why do you come see me if you're not going to do what I tell you to do? Now, folks, if we really want revival, and that was the question we posed last night, do we really want to be healed or not? And if we do, God has spelled out some things for us. And he said, first of all, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, that's a biggie for American Christians because typically speaking, we know we need revival. There's no doubt. Even the unsaved crowd understands that. Now, they may not call it revival, but they know that something needs to change because violence is going to continue to escalate. It's going to be a dangerous country to live in. But generally, when we say we need revival, what we're saying is, you need revival, I'm okay. You need to change, but I'm all right. And that's why we don't see it. And I can't help but think that God sits and says to us, then why did you come to me? Well, God, because we don't feel good. God, if something isn't corrected, I might die. Then do what I've asked you to do. And the first thing he said is to humble ourselves. That's tough. But quite frankly, it's better for you to humble yourself before God than for God to humble you. Because there will come a day. You may be too proud to come to an altar and bow before the King of Kings. But there will be a day that you'll be on your knees and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, it may be too late. The good book says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I would suggest to this eternal bound audience, you ought to do it today. You ought to humble yourself today while there is hope for your eternal destiny, while there is hope for us to see again God's powerful hand to move amongst us. Don't wait until it's too late. Now, Luke chapter 16, I'm going to read the conclusion of the parable of the unjust steward. And if you'll <clears throat> pay attention, I want to... Read beginning in verse number 10. You found it? Luke 16, verse 10. If you have it, say amen. amen. This is Jesus speaking. This isn't a little sermonette that we receive from Baptist headquarters. This is Jesus speaking. He that is faithful 
in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now Jesus says, you, me, we cannot serve two masters. And the truth be known, every one of us serves somebody. We may serve ourselves. We may serve another person. We may serve a group of people to win their favor, to win their attention. But we serve somebody. And God says, you can't serve him and anybody else at the same time. It's one or the other. And folks, American Christianity has rewritten the New Testament. Modern Christianity, and especially in America, we've made it that God is just the top of a list of gods that we can serve. We serve God the most because we love him the most, but then we serve the flesh, we serve sports, we serve ourselves. we serve... Oh no, God says, I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no other. God isn't the first and most important God of our life, he's either God or he's not. And God is saying here in the text, he that is faithful, look in verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And that's my thought this morning as we as God's people intentionally, of our own volition, want to humble ourselves before God. We want God to heal us. Now, if that's not your interest, then just be polite and, and be a good listener for a moment. But for those of us that are seeking God to revive our hearts and to heal us as, a, as an individual, as a, as a family, as a church, as a, as a country, we want to humble ourselves before him. And to do that, we must be honest to God. And that's what this verse is speaking about. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Can I stress the thesis? Jesus is saying, if a man is faithful in the little things in life, you can mark it down. He's faithful in the big things. But... He that is unjust or unfaithful in that which is the least, regardless of how he appears in the big things, he's not a faithful man. Let me reword it this way. God says, if you're honest in the small details of life, that man in the big stuff where everybody can see him, He'll be an honest man. But if a man is dishonest in the small matters of life, regardless of how he appears in the big things and in the public arena, you can mark it down. He's not an honest man. You say, but he appears to be honest. Well, we can be motivated by other, other drives in our life other than honesty, can we not? Some of us, we're, we're motivated by the fear of disgrace. I mean, we, we might not pay back personal loans. We may break personal uh, favors and promises to kids or our friends because nobody's going to make a big deal out of that. But we're not going to renege on our mortgage payment. 
Why? We don't want to be disgraced. We don't want to lose our home. Some of us are motivated by the fear of losing your job. I remember when I was in Bible college. I, I mean, I was in Bible college, so that means I was a little more spiritual than you folks. Because when you're in Bible college, you're the most spiritual people on the planet. Hallelujah. Well, not the most, because preachers are the most spiritual people on the planet. So, no, I'm teasing. But when I was in Bible college, I worked for a, a major car rental agency. And I remember our job was to clean up the cars when people bring their car rentals back. We'd wash them, we'd vacuum clean them, we'd wax them, we'd gas them up, change the oil, uh, set the timing on it. I mean, we, <clears throat> we just got the cars ready to roll, but there was a lot of downtime. And so when the cars, when the fleet was all cleaned and ready to go, we'd have some time. And, and so we'd bring our personal cars into the, into the bay and we would wash our cars and vacuum out our cars. And, and a lot of times we would gas up our cars. And it was just a common practice amongst uh, the employees, nobody said anything, nobody got in trouble. We all just sort of gassed up our cars. Now, keep in mind, that's back when gas was 35 cents a gallon, hallelujah. So it wasn't like we were stealing millions of dollars, but nevertheless, we were taking gasoline without paying for it. Years went by, and I'm in the ministry. And God started convicting me of years earlier of stealing that gasoline. And I finally went to the altar and I said, Lord, nobody even knows. Nobody even cares. It's, it, it's not even several hundred dollars worth of gasoline. And, and yet I couldn't shake it. And so I told God, if I ever get back to Springfield, Missouri, I will, I'll go to that car rental and I'll I'll let them know what I did, and I'll give them the money that I calculated that I, that I took, the gasoline that I took, and add a little to it to be sure that I covered it. And I went back to Springfield, Missouri, and went to that car rental agency, and I went in, and there was the same guy that was my boss way back then. And, of course, he was older, and we laughed and had a good time together. And he said, well, what brings you to Springfield? So I told him what I was in Springfield for. He said, well, what brings you to, to the car rental agency? And I said, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Remember back when I worked here and we laughed a little bit, some of the stories that took place on the job. And I said, you know, we used to fill up our gas tank. And that's stealing. I didn't pay for my, and he just laughed. He said, well, yeah, I know, a lot of guys did that. I said, yeah, I know, but... I'm trying to get a clear conscience with God. And I can't move forward until I make right what I know is wrong. And so I brought a couple hundred dollars and, well, I want to pay for the gas. He said, Bruce, there's just no way I can take it. There's no way I can, uh, there's no way I can show it on the books. He said, but I will tell you this, I'm glad you came. Because a few years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you are just validating my faith that following Jesus does make a difference in your life. Now, up until that point, I was motivated by the fear of losing a job, not because I was honest. Bible college, went back home, everyone thought I was super spiritual. But it was just an appearance. Some are motivated by... The, Fear of governmental law. Some are motivated by love of praise. Some are motivated by self-righteous. My point this morning is what Jesus is saying. If we're not faithful in that which is least, you mark it down regardless of how we appear in the big things of life. We're motivated by something other than honesty. Because an honest man will be honest in the least in the small things that very few notice. Do we understand the thesis? Because I want to make application. I'm teaching, and now I'm going to preach. You say, what's the difference? Teach, I talk to you. Preach, I'm going to yell at you. Don't take offense. It's just passionate application. 
We're praying for revival. And the first thing the heavenly position says is we must humble ourselves. And that means we must be honest to God in the small areas of life. We can put on a show here at church, can we not? But if we're not honest to God when we leave this room and in the small areas of life, then it just shows you and me that we're motivated, we're governed by some other spirit, some other attitude other than honesty. Because an honest person will be honest in that which is least. Now, if we're not honest to God, we're going to be dishonest to self. Let me give you four quick thoughts. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In fact, the verse goes on to say that it makes God sick. He will spew us out of his mouth. And the emphasis here is a church that says how good things are. It's a sad day when a church continues to decline, 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 and yet they boast about their facilities, boast about their musical programs or whatever programs they're proud of, boast about, you know, I hear more often than not, but our offerings are going up. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting baptized. Nobody's conquering sin nobody's growing but man our offerings are growing up that sounds like the book of the revelation the laodicean church if we're not honest to god in the small areas and you mark it down we'll be dishonest to ourself the bible says if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing he fools himself he deceives himself it's sad to think of Samson, the strongest man that we know of in Scripture. Samson wist not the Lord was departed from him. He could always serve God in the energy of the flesh, and he thought it was his strength that was accomplishing God's will until the Spirit of the Lord left him. And then he found out how weak he was. The sad thing is, he wasn't even aware of the absence of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we'll deceive ourselves. That's what James said. says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, or you'll deceive yourself. You'll fool yourself thinking that you are right with God when in reality, you know you're not. We know we're not. We'll be dishonest with ourselves. If I took a sponge this morning and a clean sponge and I immersed it in a bucket of orange juice and then I'd squeeze it, what's going to come out of that sponge? Orange juice. Let's say I clean that sponge out good and then I dip it into a, a pail of milk and then I squeeze that sponge. What's going to come out of that sponge? Milk. <laughs> yeah. Tainted milk. <laughs> what, what are we learning? That when you squeeze a sponge, whatever's in it is going to come out. And what comes out indicates where that sponge has been submerged. And so when life squeezes you and squeezes me, whatever comes out of our life, shows what's in. That's what Jesus said when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The works of the flesh, life squeezing, pressure on. Anybody can serve God when it's sunny out. But when it's 40 degrees in Florida, come on. That's a little pressure. How about when we get sick? How about when someone hurts us? 
Those are the pressures of life that squeeze us. And instead of excusing that which is coming out, instead of denying that was in you, we ought to, like the psalmist said, search me, O God, try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. When God squeezes and reveals what's in us, that's when we should confess our sin to the Lord. Because what that does is it reveals where we have been immersing our life. If we spend time in the Word of God, if we spend time in prayer, and we immerse our life in the things of God, pressure will come, and it will be a different substance coming out. The good book says the fruit of the Spirit, singular, Singular, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not nine fruits, nine characteristics of one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God's in control of your life, there'll be love, joy, peace. And when you say, I need more love in my life, no, we just need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, when love is needed, it'll be available and readily available for you and me. Because that's part of who the Holy Spirit is. I'm saying if we're not honest to God, we'll be dishonest to ourselves. Secondly, if we're not honest to God, we'll be dishonest to sin. If a man hated sin because it was sin, he would no more indulge in one sin than any other sin. James says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. You're saying, well, good. I haven't committed adultery or killed. Well, Jesus also said that if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. Otherwise, God sees our heart. Don't miss the point in James. He is simply saying, God hates all sin. You know what sins you and I hate the most? The ones that have hurt us. If someone kills your brother, you'll hate murder. If someone rapes your daughter, you'll hate you'll hate immorality. If someone steals your pension, you'll hate stealing. We generally hate the sin the most that has hurt us the most. And God says, all sin I hate. All of it. And so if we're not honest to God, we'll make room in our life for small sins because this doesn't affect a lot of people. It's not adultery. It's not murder. And God says, you're not being honest. He that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in much. And we ought to hate all sin. Avoid it. Stay from it. That's why sometimes the Spirit of God will convict you and convict me. Who cares if they stole gasoline 10 years ago at, at their place of employment when it only cost 35 cents a gallon? Who cares? God does. Because generally when we let little sins come into our life, they don't stay little. They get bigger. We need to be honest to God or we'll be dishonest to sin. If we're not honest to God, we'll be dishonest with our service. And this, this affects me greatly. I'm a preacher. I, I've given my life to preach his word. But if I'm not governed by honesty in small things, then even my preaching... Though you may be blessed by it, though God may use it to see souls get saved, you may say, wow, he's a good man. But if I'm not honest to God in the small things, then even my service is motivated by something other than honesty. Does that make sense? You can talk about all the good things you've done. 
Man, I've given money. I've worked around the church. I've done this. I sing. I teach. I, I go I help the pastor when needed. I, I go soul winning. Can I remind you that Judas Iscariot did miracles? Judas Iscariot had such a reputation, such an image that he was elected to be the church treasurer. You have to have some type of reputation. You have to have some type of respect for your peers who know you better than anyone else to elect you to be the treasurer. And yet you know and I know, God says he was a devil. And so I'm saying you and I, we can fool others even fool ourselves, but we'll never fool God. And all the service that we render will burn up, as the good book says, as wood, hay, and stubble. If we're not honest to God, I mean, <clears throat> do we read our Bible daily? I mean, we can say we do because nobody follows us around. Your preacher doesn't have a, a camera in your home. Checks, well, preacher, I read at 7 o'clock in the morning, and there's that little camera. But he can stand up here and say, how many have read their Bible this week and never, all the hands go up? But God really knows. Do we memorize God's word? Do we meditate on God's word? Those are the things that aren't seen by everybody else. Do we witness? How can we, how can we say that we're a follower of Christ and never witness when Jesus said, follow me and I, Jesus, he'll take the responsibility. He'll make us into fishers of men. You may not be well-spoken. You may not be highly educated. But if you're a follower of Christ, you will be a fisher of men. That's what Jesus promised. How about praying? It amazes us to find out that most church members spend less than an hour a week in prayer. Ian Bound said prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that nobody believes that. Was Ian Bounds embellishing or exaggerating a little bit? Did he just get caught up in his excitement when he's preaching? I don't think so. Jesus said, whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do. Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I'm saying today, Mr. Bounds wasn't embellishing. Prayer can do anything God can do. But how many of us really pray? But we'll talk it up. As one man said, prayer is the most talked about service unto the Lord, but the least practiced. My dad used to say, prayer is the hardest work I know. I'm saying to us, if we want revival, truly want to be healed, God's given us a formula. And it starts by humbling ourselves, being honest to God, dealing with the small matters that seemingly don't mean anything to the image conscious, the capitalistic mentality of American Christians. But it does matter to God. If we're not honest to God, we will be dishonest in our service. When I was in third grade, my best friend, Mike Twitty, he was the most popular kid in our school. And all he did was share with us what he had. He came to school with measles. And he just shared it with the rest of us. And we all were out of school long before COVID closed down school. We were out of school because we had the measles. And all he did was share what he had. 
Folks, if you have Christ, it's hard not to share him. If you're full of Jesus, it's hard not. In fact, you remember the apostles in the New Testament, they were arrested, thrown in jail, and said, okay, we're going to let you go. We're going to beat the daylights out of you first. And you can go, but just don't talk about Jesus anymore. What'd they say? They didn't say, hi, hi, peace. They, they opened their big mouth. We can't help but speak the name of Jesus. They didn't even make a false promise. They just said, we're going to go do it again. Why? You can't be in love with Jesus and not talk about him. And then fourthly, if we're not honest to God, we'll be dishonest with our soul. And this is dangerous. The Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, 1 John 1.8. I've witnessed to people over the years, hundreds of people, and a lot of times I'll start by, you got to start right where they're at. I mean, they're sinners. We're sinners, are we not? We're all sinners. Hopefully you're a saved sinner. And God doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. You're a saint. You've been saved from your sin. But we understand when we say we're all sinners, we're just saved sinners and lost sinners. And when you talk to a person, you say, well, the Bible says you've sinned. And you can almost see them saying, well, I'm not that bad of a guy for crying out loud. And so we say, have you ever lied before? Have you ever told your sister she was beautiful and she's not? And so we chuckle, chuckle, oh, yeah, 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 well, then you've lied. Oh, okay, yeah, I've lied. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to ease into this fact that we're sinners. Folks, we've sinned. In fact, every one of us in here have lied. In fact, many of us have lied already today. And the Bible says, every man is a liar. So if you say you're not a liar, you just lied. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> so we're all liars. God says if we're not honest about those small things, we'll be dishonest to our own soul. It'll be hard for any of us to ever get saved. There's people in in our world today that even attend our churches, possibly like Judas Iscariot, they think that they are doing all right. They, they go to church. They, they're kind to their mother. They, they help others. And they think they're on their way to heaven. Neglecting the fact, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's only one way to heaven. It's not through the Baptist church. But you'll hear about it in a good Baptist church. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why would Jesus say that? Because he's telling us the truth. He's telling us the way to get to heaven. He became flesh. He's God in the flesh. That's why he can live a life without sin. You can try not to sin, but you're going to fail. You're going to sin. Jesus Christ knew no sin. He did no sin. He could not sin. He was God in the flesh. His flesh was tempted to disobey the law of God, but him inside. We're all souls just living inside a body. He being God could conquer sin. And because he was sinless, he could lay down his life for you, for you, for me. He paid the debt for our sin. He was buried. He resurrected from the grave. You say, you really believe that? Absolutely, I believe that. He created the world. Even unsaved people in pagan countries never heard the name Jesus. Never seen a missionary. No, it's wrong to kill, commit adultery, to steal, to lie, to covet. They know there's a God. They know they should worship him. He's got a name. They set a day aside to honor him. They should honor their mother and father. How do they know that stuff if they've never seen a Bible or heard it preached? 
Because God has written his commands on the heart of every man. And that's why all men will be held accountable. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every one of us know if we are saved or if we're lost. If we're saved, the Spirit of God dwells within us and bears witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. But if we're not honest to God, you'll fool yourself and, and think of yourself as being saved. Last year, I'm a baseball fan. Please don't make fun of me. But I'm a Cleveland Indian fan. They will always be the Cleveland Indians. They can change their name to be po politically correct. Now they're called the Cleveland Guardians. Because if you say Cleveland Indians, it's offensive. Okay. So what the Guardians have to do with anything, I don't know. But this I can tell you, they're not guarding first plates. They're still trying to get there. And so I like to watch a lot of baseball. But last year, baseball season got back into full swing again. And some of you that are MLB fans, you'll know, you'll pro you probably saw this on ESPN. There was a rookie playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And <clears throat> Cabrian Hayes, I mean, he was a phenom. They expected him to be the rookie of the year. And had his season not been cut short because of an injury, probably would have been rookie of the year. But last year in June, he came to the plate facing the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think it was, oh, I don't know who was pitching, but he's a right-handed batter. He waited the pitcher out. Most rookies are anxious, and they, that's why they strike out a lot. He get a lot of lousy hits. They're anxious. But as a young man, he's very mature, and he could wait. And he waited out this veteran pitcher. And finally, when the count was in his favor, pitcher threw a ball. He reached, and lifted that ball, and, and the crowd is ooing and on, and he's running to first base, watching the ball as the ball sort of sliced, wondering if it would just stay fair, and hit the home run foul post over the wall. Home run, umpire. <laughs> of course, the fans go crazy, and the young man, he is just, he is ecstatic. Comes around second, third, and home, and High five in the dugout. And all of a sudden, an unusual sight. All the umpires came in, and they're gathering around that instant replay booth. Of course, the fans are thinking, they're checking to see if it was fair or foul. Did it stay fair? When we saw it from here, from crying aloud in the top deck, I can see it from here. And they're looking at an instant replay. And then the umpire come out home plate umpire, he's out. What they were checking was the runner never touched first base. There are thousands of people. First, they're upset that they would even look to see if that was fair or foul. We saw it. But what they didn't see was he missed the bag by two inches. Folks, I'd hate to think that you would circle all the bases but miss salvation by two inches. You can go to church. That's a good thing to do. You can even be baptized. Good thing to do. You could read your Bible and, like Judas Iscariot, preach the Bible. But if you haven't touched first base, you'll be thrown out. I'm saying we need to be humble. And we need to give attention to the small things. Isn't that what Solomon said? That it's the foxes little foxes that spoiled us. We think it's not a big deal.
But if we're not faithful in that which is least, we won't be governed by honesty in the big things. So I ask you today, how are you doing in your Bible reading? Is it just something we do on Sundays? Do you meditate on God's word? The word meditate just simply means to mumble. Mumble what's on your heart. You know, like when a guy cuts you off on the highway, you mumble. That's meditation. You're mumbling. You're not talking out. I mean, some of you might. You, sometimes I got to say a few things to him. But generally, we mum that's meditation. You're just uttering your thoughts. And God says, you want to have good success in life? then don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. How are you doing in memorizing God's word? Well, that's for young kids. Oh, no, if you still struggle with sin, it's for you too. I'm 65 plus. I got my Medicare card. I'm receiving Social Security. And I couldn't wait to hit 65 because I thought once you hit 65, all temptation of sin was done and over. I mean, what can old people do? But I'm here to tell you, the devil is after us old people, just like you young people. And that's why I hide God's word in my heart, that I might not sin against him. How are you on witnessing? How many souls have you witnessed to? Have you led a soul to Christ? How can you go through an entire Christian life and never win a soul to Christ. That boggles my mind. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible of New Testament Christianity. Pray. Churches are known for everything but the very thing God wants it to be known for. My house shall be called the house of preaching. My house shall be called the house of Ooh, ministries. My house shall be called the house of free food and free clothing. No, God said, I want my house to be known for something. Where people can get in touch with me. My house shall be called the house of prayer. And yet, you know and I know, most of us are anemic. I'm just bringing that to your attention. I'm not condemning. I'm preaching to the preacher. But I'm saying if we want revival, God's given us a formula. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. We have to be honest with God. We have to be honest to God. So I ask you the question this morning that we asked last night, and what a tremendous response we had last night. Do you want to be healed? Do you want your heart, your home, your church, your country, yea, the world? Do we want a real visitation from God? And I'd say to God's people, then let's humble ourselves. Without apology and without shame, there should be no hesitation for God's people to come and humble themselves on an old-fashioned altar. Say, dear God, whatever it is in my life, speak to me. And quite frankly, he probably already is. What are those little small things that God's talking about to you? You just come and humble yourself. Say, dear God, I do want to see revival. I want to see your power in my life. So I kneel before you. And I confess these little things. Oh, it's not murder. It's not adultery. But these things ought not to be in my life. But if you've pointed them out, they must be important to you. And because you've pointed them out to me, I want to humble myself before you and say, oh God, clean me up. I confess and I forsake. I'm taking action on it 
right now. If you're here today and you're one heartbeat from hell, why don't you get saved right here, right now? Don't risk another day of life. Don't put it off tomorrow because you don't know that you have tomorrow to wait. If God's speaking to you about being saved now, you may not understand everything. Quite frankly, I was eight years old when I got saved. I didn't understand a lot of theology, but I knew I was a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And by faith, I received him and he saved my soul just like that. And he can save you right here. If you need to be saved, I'll be kneeling here. You just tap me on the shoulder. Or come to the pastor. And one of us will show you in just a few seconds, minutes at the most. We don't have to preach another sermon. We just want you to see with your own eyes where God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that you're not trusting a Baptist or a Baptist preacher. You're trusting in what God says. you can be saved today. Church, do we want revival? Yes or no? Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask the pianist to come and play music conducive for prayer. And I'm going to ask God's people, member or guest, you know the Lord, you know I speak the truth because the truth has been read and preached. And you have a desire today to see God revive our churches, our homes, our life. I'm asking you to join me at an old-fashioned altar and humble yourself before God and ask God to revive you. Father, thank you again for these dear people, for their good attention they've provided. I pray that your spirit has spoken to our hearts, that we be doers of the word, not hearers only. While I pause in this prayer, could I just ask this audience with heads bowed and eyes closed, Is there anyone here this morning you'd say, Pastor, if I were to die right now, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to.